we're in our series called Pain to Purpose. How many of you have gone through pain in your life? How many of you are in the midst of pain right now? All right, some of you are right now, okay. When I was thinking about this, I, I, I thought about my favorite, one of my favorite all-time pictures of my children, me and my children. Here it is. Janie said her favorite thing is all you can see is Caleb's nose. I don't know how old he is. He's about eight and six. If he's, if he's eight, then Rachel's six, and then Hannah's four or three. We were actually um, at, a, at a place where we were doing inner tubing. They hated skiing. They loved inner tubing, so they had these lifts that you went up, and we went there. And so, so I just want to ask you a question. Um, eight, six, and four, do you think they wanted to put on all of these clothes? No. They're like, why do we need that? Now, now take it and even go down to a toddler. You ever tried to put warm clothes on a wiggly kid? Does that just make your heart grow closer to Jesus and make you want to worship? No, it's, it's bad. Why don't, why don't we just say, run outside naked? Just go on out in the snow. Why don't we do that? Number one, we might be arrested. Um, our children might be taken from us, right? Or, or you know, something. We're, at the very least, people are going to say, you're a bad parent or a bad grandparent. So, you know, Waylon's like, I don't need a coat. Yeah, buddy, you do. I don't need a coat. You're not, this is not a discussion. You're putting on the coat, right? Why do we do that? It's because it's for their good. We want to protect them. And, and when I bundle up Waylon, I don't bundle up my children anymore, but when I bundle up Waylon, he might look like Ralphie's brother from A Christmas Story. Go ahead and put that up there. I've fallen and I can't get up, right? He might not be able to get up, but at least he won't freeze to death. I will put all of the clothes. You, okay, you, you, can, yeah, you can kill that. I'll put all the clothes on him because I want to protect him. I don't want to please him. I want to protect him. Now, there's a lie. That's all right. It's about to go. When he clicks on this next slide, it'll go away. So y'all just enjoy for a second. There's a lie in Christian circles that says God will never put on you more than you can handle. That's a lie from the pit of hell. If you can handle it, you don't need God. God's going to allow some stuff to come into your life that you can't handle so that you will learn to trust him and turn things over to him. Um, You need to understand that with Christ, through Christ, we can do all the stuff that God wants us to do, including going through the valley of the shadow of death. And we can overcome and it's not the fact that bad people get overwhelmed. All people get overwhelmed. And, and so it's, so ba- it's such a big deal that in the book of Psalms, the psalmists talk about two different things. It talks about distress, restoration. Distress, restoration. You read the book of Psalms, you'll see that the psalmist is very often distressed. Lots of pain, lots of suffering, crying out to God, pouring out their heart to God. And then they'll turn around in the next psalm, or maybe even in, at the end of that psalm, there'll be all kinds of singing and dancing and, and, and praising God because they've been restored. And, and the human experience, so I'm just telling you this, I think you know this, but in case you don't, the human experience is living in, in the in-between distress and restoration. We're going to do that over and over and over again throughout our lives. So I wanted to read you a couple of Psalms. The first one is all about distress. It begins with distress, it ends with war, and in between deals with deception and slander. And this might be some of your prayer right now. Here's what it says. I took my troubles to the Lord. Where did they take their troubles? To the Lord. So first of all, there's trouble. I cried out to him and answered, and he answered my prayer. Rescue me, O Lord, from liars and from deceitful people. Y'all ever need to pray that prayer? Okay, you don't have to testify right now. 
Oh, deceptive tongue. So now listen to what happens. Oh, deceptive tongue. What will God do to you? How will he increase your punishment? You will be pierced with sharp arrows and burned with glowing coals. How I suffer in far off Meshach. It pains me to live in distant Kedar. And it's just talking about the people of Meshach and Kedar are far from God. And he says, when you, when you people who are supposed to be God's people don't live like God's people, I might as well live amongst those who don't even know him. He's in distress. It pains me to live in these places. I'm tired of living among people who hate peace. I search for peace, but when I speak of peace, they want war. So in verses 1 and 2, we got to pray. In verses 3 and 4, we got to trust God. And in verses 5 through 7, we must patiently endure. That's the message of this psalm. So some of you, you just need to walk through this psalm, cry out to God and wait and endure knowing that God has your back. Now, because if you do, then you might experience the next psalm, Psalm 126, verses 1 through 7. When the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter. We sang for joy. And the other nations said, this is what's so cool. You were f- so filled with laughter and joy. The other nations, your enemies, the ones who hate God and hate Israel, they said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. We have to admit it. Your God is awesome. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. Those who plant tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. Now, I'm going to share with you a story today about King David, but i got to kind of set this up for you. So I'm going to read the first four verses of of 1 Samuel 27. This is background, then I'll explain it. We'll get into what we're going to talk about today. All right, so... It says this, but, the, but David thought to himself, he did what? And I just want you to go, uh-uh. It's a bad idea. So just go, uh-uh, that's a bad idea. Okay, so I'm going to read that part, and then I want you to say, uh-uh, that's a bad idea. Okay. But David thought to himself, that's a bad idea. You need to remember that. If nothing else, you need to hear that. If you think to yourself, uh-uh, that's a bad idea. You just need to remember that today. He says, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. So what's happening is King Saul has found out that David has been anointed the next king. God has removed his hand of protection and blessing of King Saul. King Saul's been trying to kill David. He runs from King Saul for seven years. God anoints David the next king. Seven years he's running for his life. David's tired of running for his life. He's escaped by the skin of his teeth two different times. And David thought to himself, what? Uh Uh-uh, that's a bad idea. He thought to himself, one of these days, I'm going to be destroyed. God had told him, you're the next king. God had protected him. But David thought to himself, thank you, thank you. Y'all catching on. He thought to himself, one of these days, I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. So David thinks, God's not going to protect me anymore. I've got to take matters into my own hands. The best thing I can do is escape to the land of the Philistines. God says, you're the next king. God didn't tell him to go to the land of the Philistines. They were the arch enemies. You remember Goliath? He was part of the Philistines. David goes to live there. The best I can do is go escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hand. So David and the 600 men with him. So by this point, he's got 600 followers and their families. So if you, it, it, David has two wives. We didn't, didn't mention if he has children yet, but the other guys have their wives and their families. So this may be as many as 2,000 people are hanging out in the wilderness. They go to the Philistines. Uh, his 600 men with him left and went over to Achish, son of Maok, king of Gath. So he goes to this king, and he, he, grant, he 
gets favor with this king, and the king says, I want you to be on my, in my army. I want you to protect me. And at one point he says, David, you're so faithful, I want you to be my bodyguard forever. He's not where he's supposed to be. Uh, David and his men settled in Gath with Achish. Each man had his family with him, and David had his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel. Now, nowhere does the Bible say that it's, it's, you should have multiple wives. In fact, the Bible says one man, one woman for a lifetime. So David's being disobedient with this as well. The thing that makes the Bible different than any other religious book is the Bible tells the truth about its people. The Bible tells all of the sins, all of the ugliness as well, and then talks about what an incredible God who will reach into this ugliness and redeem them. He had two wives. Um, when Saul t- was told that David had fled to Gath, he no longer searched for him. So when he goes over to the Philistines, he gets in with this king, they hang out, and, and, uh, and what David does is he eventually asks for his own town. He's like, you know, there's, there's so much strain on the king. Let our 2,000 people give us another town. We'll go there. You won't have to feed us. We won't be a drain on the water supply and all of that. So the king gives him the, the town Ziklag, and it's about 30 miles away. It's far enough away that David can do what David wants to do without the king of the Philistines knowing what's going on. So the Bible tells us that David starts conducting these raids. From Ziklag, he goes and he attacks the enemies of God, not the Philistines, not the enemies of the Philistines. He's attacking the enemies of the Israelites. But when the king wants to know what's going on, he's, oh, yeah, I've gone here and I've gone here. But he doesn't tell him what he's doing. Now, word gets out in the, in the Jewish nation, and the people are loving David. They knew he ran from King Saul, but now they're like, dude, even in Philistia, he is... He is helping us win battles. Word gets now he he kills all the people in those battles, the enemies of God, so that they can they can't come and tell the king what's really going on, the king of the Philistines. So now what's happening is the Philistines are about to battle the Jews, the Israelites. King Achish wants David to come along with him because he says, I want you to be my bodyguard forever. So what they do is the, the king will sit up and, and all of the princes not princesses, the princes will bring their, their battle um, folks along in front of the king so he can approve who's going to battle. At the very end, there's David and his 600 men, and all of the, all of the other um, noble men say to the king, isn't that a Jew? Why would you want a Jew to go to war against the Jews? He's going to turn his back on us. And, and Achish like, oh, you don't understand. This guy's like my bodyguard. And they said, no, you don't understand. They sang songs about him. They said, isn't this David? Saul kills his thousands, but David kills his ten thousands? You don't understand, king. So the king calls David in. He says to David, you got to go. And David says, what have I done? But God was protecting him. He didn't want, can you imagine how this would have messed up God's story if David was fighting against the Jews that he's going to be the king of in three years. He doesn't know it, but in three years from this point, he's going to be the king of Judah. So he leaves, and they're going back to Ziklag, and that's where we pick up the story in 1 Samuel 30, verses 1 through 2. Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, they found the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag, they had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. So you're coming over the hill. You're, you're, you're thinking, okay, we're just going to go home and chill out for a while. You got no home. It's all on fire. It's burned to the ground. Not only that, they had carried off all the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. Now, this has to be an act of God because the Amalekites were the sworn enemies of the people of God, and they would have killed them. I don't know how they didn't kill them, but they took everything. They, they burned down their houses, took everything Women, children, all of the livestock, everything. 
Now, you need to understand, David and his 600 men at this point had never lost a battle. They've just been told, you can't go to battle against your own people, which I think David's going, thank you, Jesus. You know, he didn't know Jesus. Thank you, God, that I'm not having to go to battle. So he comes home and everything is gone. Now, I don't know if you know this, but whenever you begin to, to live a life for God, you will face retaliation from the enemy of God. If you're moving along with him, he's not worried about you. But the moment you say, I'm going to take a stand, you're going to face retaliation from the enemy of God. There's a spiritual battle going around on. We can't see it, but we can perceive it. It's in the places, spaces, it's in the territories that we don't see in in that realm. But Ephesians 6 says, we do not fight against flesh and blood. And, and I keep bringing this back up. How many of you are flesh and blood in this room? I'm just curious. Do we have any androids? Not yet. <laughs> that may be coming. I don't know. If you're flesh and blood and I'm flesh and blood, and we're, we're, there's something going on between us that messes us up, and the Bible says it's not really about me and Robert, there's an enemy that wants to split up me and Robert, then then why am I throwing rocks at Robert? Does this make sense to you? There's a spiritual battle going on. And so in this case, the enemy of God actually attacked, physically attacked David's family, his town, took everything away. So we talked about, two weeks ago, we talked about you have to identify the source of your pain. There's... Some of the pain in the world is because we live in a fallen world. Sin entered when Adam and Eve were in a perfect environment. It's no longer perfect. And then you multiply sin over thousands and thousands of years and over thousands and thousands of sinful people. It is not better today than it was in the Garden of Eden. It started out perfect. Jesus said, I'm going to come back. I'm going to make it perfect. But in the meantime, there's there's trouble. You're going to have trouble, right? So when we figure out some things we're going to go through just because we live in a fallen world, But there's another source of pain, and it's a spiritual attack. There's an enemy of God that wants to ruin you, wants to mess you up. He wants to mess you up so that you do not glorify God and God's kingdom is never advanced. So spiritual attack, that's the source of pain. So I want to give you a couple of facts about this life that we're living. In this life, you will face resistance. And if you're not facing resistance, you're not advancing into enemy territory. Right? Here's the deal. If, if, if I am never, if the enemy never attacks me, it's because he doesn't have to worry about me. In fact, I'm probably going his direction. I love the opening music and, and the video for the series, The Chosen. Have any of y'all seen that? Y'all should watch The Chosen, get the Bible study book. It's fantastic. Our men on Tuesday nights, we're, we just finished uh, episode seven of season one. Um, you need to, it is, it is incredible. But, but here's a picture of The Chosen, their, their theme. Go ahead and put that up there if you would, Bobby. So all of those blue fish are going a different direction. All of the blue fish represent people who've given their hearts and their lives to Jesus, and they're going against the flow. Now, this is a circle. On the, the, you see it on the, on the credits when they're bringing in the, the episode that all of the fish are going this way, and one by one they start turning and following Jesus. That's a picture of what it means to be a Christian. We turn away from the world, and we move towards Christ. David had spent the last 16 months as a secret operative behind enemy lines raiding all of these enemies of God's people, And if you go against 
the enemies of God, the enemies of God are going to retaliate. That's just the perp- that's just the reality. Now, not all circ- I'm not a guy who believes there's a demon behind every tree. I'm I don't believe if you don't put oil in your car and you drive it for 200,000 miles and it blows up, I don't believe that was the demon of sucking oil out of your car. I think you're an idiot. And you didn't check your oil and your, your engine blew up. I can say that because one time I was going back to college when I was a freshman in college and I let my buddy drive. I was tired. So I, I was from Borger, Texas, and it was about six and a half, seven hours to get to Waco back to Baylor. And so I drove, um, I don't know, I drove to, I don't know, even know. So I let my buddy drive. Well, my, my car, when you shifted it, when you got from neutral to drive, it didn't ever go into D. It, it stopped right in between, halfway in between N and D. He didn't know that. Homeboy went all the way past D. He would drive 75 miles an hour in low. And, and I'm kind of dozing over here. And, and, and at one point he goes, hey, Doug, something's wrong with your car. He lets off of the gas at 75 and almost throws me through the windshield. And so I look over and I said, dude, you're in low. And I should not have done this. But I reached over and I popped it into drive. And my car said, kaboom, threw two rods through the bottom of the engine. I didn't know it at the time, but they were big enough holes that my daddy could stick his fists up in there. That wasn't a demon. That was two dorks driving back to college. Not everything that happens is a demon, but sometimes it is. If we decide... I don't want to be in the battle. We're going to be neutral. Or if we were going to retreat, I'm just going to, I'm just going to hide out in my house. Then you're actually playing into the enemy's hands. And he disqualifies you for service. Not deciding for Christ is a decision that you're not going to follow Christ. So you need to ask yourself, if I'm not experiencing resistance, you have to ask yourself this question. Am I hurting the kingdom of God? Because I'm sure not helping I'm not saying you go out and you say, come on, demons, that's stupid. But if you're doing what God wants you to do, you will be attacked, and you have to recognize that. Now, people all the time say, why is this happening to me? Why doesn't God do something? Well, we said this two weeks ago, but I'm going to remind you, I may say this every Sunday of this series. God sometimes intervenes to prevent Sometimes. You need to underline that word, sometimes. And I would say, not very often does God intervene to prevent. Because God, what, what God's interested in, he always intervenes to produce. He wants to change you. That's the next one. Go ahead, the next one. He always intervenes to produce. 2 Corinthians 4.17. <laughs> y'all get ready for this. Some of y'all, some of y'all well, I'll, I'll tell you, and then I'll let you get offended. These troubles and sufferings of ours, this is Paul. Now, Paul spent a couple of times, he, he was shipwrecked three times, he was beaten, he was stoned with rocks, left for dead. He was, this dude had trouble, and look what he says. These troubles and sufferings of ours are, after all, what are they? Quite small, and some of you are going, quite small? In the scheme of eternity, Yes. If we, could, if we could stretch a line, and we've done this before, we stretch a line from that wall to that wall, and we took a little bitty dot and stuck it right in the middle, that dot represents your life compared to eternity. It's small and insignificant compared to eternity, which means the troubles in that little dot are small and insignificant in comparison to eternity. 
Paul says they're, they're small. Um, the NIV says they're light and temporary. Would you describe your troubles? Oh, they're just light and temporary. Like a nice wafer. They're quite small, won't last very long. Yet this short time, there he says it again. The short time of distress will result in God's richest blessing upon us forever and ever. So we do not look at what we can see right now, the troubles all around us, but we look forward to the joys in heaven, which we have not yet seen. The troubles will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. So I got a question. If, and y'all said, I've gone through trouble or you're in trouble, and I've, we've done it. We've walked through the valley of the shadow of death. In 2013, when mom and dad and sis died, nine months later, some really bad stuff happened in our family. And then for, it seemed like about three years, we were in the valley of the shadow of death. And Paul says that's light and temporary. So if Paul calls our struggles light and temporary or, or quite small and won't last very long, but the Bible says the glory of heaven far outweighs our light and temporary troubles, then how heavy is the glory of heaven? How magnificent is it? It's so magnificent that I think that, that if you're a Christ follower, I think the moment you die, because Paul said that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, the moment you see heaven and Christ, you forget all about your troubles. And you forget about them forever. <laughs> Pretty heavy glory. Light and temporary. So, okay, I got a question. How many of you, we're going to go to school for just a second. How many of you remember Newton's third law? I didn't remember either. I had to look it up. Wait, somebody said it. Nope. Motion. Okay, that's close. Here it, here it is. For every action, so force, there in, in, the na- in nature, and I put in the natural world because I want to compare the natural world to the spiritual in a minute. So for every action in nature, there is an equal and opposite reaction. So I have a picture that will help us d- demonstrate this. It's real easy. Go to the picture if you would, Bobby. So homeboy is stepping off the boat. What happens to the boat? If he jumps into the water, what happens to the boat? It don't just stay still. There's an equal and opposite reaction. You jump off of a cruise ship, there's probably not much reaction. You jump off a little flat bottom, there's a big reaction. So you don't just step off and nothing happens. There's an equal and opposite reaction. That's Newton's third law. Now, here's what I love. God's law. In the supernatural world, there is an equal, uh, there is uh, an opposing reaction, but it is not equal in the spiritual world. I'm going to say it again because I don't think you got it. In the supernatural world, there's an opposing reaction from the enemy of God, but it is not equal. Let me give you some examples. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Does that mean he's the one who's in me is equal with the one in the world, the, the devil? The, the Holy Spirit of God in me is, is equal to or lesser, lesser than? No, he's greater than. He's not equal. Here's another one. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Now, that doesn't mean I can run out and say to the 18-wheeler coming 70 miles an hour down 155, no weapon formed against me. That's just idiocy. What it says is when you're walking in God's will, in the center of God's will, there's no safer place in the history of the world. I know people have been protected from bullets, from car wrecks, because they were in the center of God's will. I'll say the opposite of that. Outside of God's will, there's no more dangerous place you can walk. 
because you don't have the protection of the one who is greater protecting you. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Here's the last one. As for you, oh, this is great. This is, this is Joseph. When he's seeing his brothers, his brothers sold him into slavery. Potiphar's wife tried to have sex with him. When he refused sex, she threw him into jail. So 17 years later, he meets his brothers and he says, you meant for evil against me, but God meant it for good. Because, because in the evil world, there's an opposite reaction, but it's not equal. Does that make sense? When David was in the wrong place, God still had a plan. So David went where he wasn't supposed to be. God still had a plan. I believe God removed his hand to let the enemy attack to show David that he needs to get his booty back in Israel. But that'll come later. So you need to realize you're going to face resistance. Number two, in this life, you need a response, not a reaction. How many are good reactors? How many can go from calm to volcano in .002 seconds? That's a reaction. So let's define it. Reaction is immediate and often emotion-filled. That's not what you need if you're, if you're trying to follow God and make a difference in his kingdom. You need a response. A response is thoughtful, intentional, and filtered through the word of God. So we're about to see that. So David and his men come to Ziklag. They find out that everybody's gone. Here's what it says in verse 3, 1 Samuel 30, verse 3. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep how long? No more. They, they cried their eyes out. They're gone. They're gone. Our houses are gone. Our people are gone. Our, our possessions are gone. They're gone. They wept till they could weep no more. David's two wives, Ahinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. David was what? Great. Come on. David was what? I'm going to give you one more chance. It's highlighted up there, isn't it? Yeah. It's the last two words on the screen. David was what? Y'all are so good at this. David was greatly distressed because the, look why, look why. Not just his wives and everything gone, because the men were talking of stoning him. We're not talking about marijuana. They're picking up rocks. They were going to kill him because they blamed him. This is your fault, David. Each one was bitter in spirit because his sons and daughters were gone. Now look at this. David, what did he do? Found strength in the Lord, his God. Have you noticed that different people react to different circumstances? They, I mean, different people react to the same circumstances differently. That's what I meant to say. Have y'all noticed that? You can have four people, same circumstances, all four of them can have a different reaction. If you don't put your pain in the proper place, you're going to blame people for your pain. Where did the men place their pain? Whose fault was it? David, this is your fault. So they're going to kill him. They know he's anointed king. Let's kill the king. Let's go against God's plan. Let's kill him. Does that seem smart? No. Where did David take his pain? To the Lord. There's a difference between being a victim. So, so these guys were victims. They came over the hill. Their wives and children and their livestock were innocent. These men were victims. But the victim mentality says, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to stew. I'm never going to go through my pain. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to blame everyone else in my life. I'm going to be miserable. I'm going to make everyone else miserable until I die. That's the victim mentality. 
I'm not talking about you, you're not a victim. Some of you are a victim. You need to get healed. And the only way to do that is take it to the Lord. And I'm going to show you that process in just a second. Sitting around moping and blaming others for spiritual attack robs you of the, the ability to move through. You get stuck in the pain. Can I just tell you, ain't nobody got time for that? To get stuck in the pain? You need to find strength in the Lord. Could God have prevented this? Could God have prevented this? Why didn't he? Because he's about to produce something that was far greater than if he had prevented. For some reason that is beyond me, God saw fit for David to go through this situation. Listen to me. This was a gift to David. And if I'm going to be very transparent to you today, I have to look back on the death of my parents, all of that stuff we went through with my children. God chose to let me go through it as a gift to me because God's got a greater purpose than my happiness. God's purpose is to make me holy. And I'm just having to assume that the most loving way that the Father in heaven could get me to look more like Jesus was to go through some severe pain. And I didn't want to get stuck, so I walked through it. So how do we do that? Let's look at David's response. First thing David did, he, he wept, right? Remember, how long did he weep? Till he couldn't weep anymore. So, so this tells me, when, when I first heard about my mom and my dad and my sister, I went out there and I just cried until Janie got here, and then I cried some more. And, and then we spent the night and had to figure out who was going to preach that Sunday, and, and so that was a Friday. And so, so Saturday, we're driving home, and I'm sad, but you know I've kind of processed a little bit. And then we get there and we, we go into, I went into mama's room and I sat down on mama's bed and I just lost it. I just lost it. My mama's gone. My daddy's gone. My sister's gone. And I wept. And then I got up and we did some stuff and then I wept some more. And then a couple of days later, I preached my mom and my dad's and my sister's funeral. And by that point, there was no weeping because I wanted to tell people about the faith they had in the God that takes us through. And honestly, I don't even remember what I said. I had never listened to it. I have a recording of it, but I hadn't listened to that. But some folks said that I honored God and I honored my parents and my sister that day because I believe that God has a bigger purpose than my happiness. I wept. And then look what David does next. He found strength in God. In worship. I don't know what David sang, but I think he sang. Maybe he sang, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone. Maybe he's saying, God, you're so good. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. You're so good to me. And I don't know if he knew that line, but and should this life bring suffering? Does this life bring suffering? David worshiped the Lord. 
We know he worshiped because the Psalms are filled with his worship. Should this life bring suffering, Lord, help me remember what Calvary has bought for me both now and forever. That's how you find strength in the middle of pain, is you worship. You weep because you don't, you don't say that I'm not having trouble. You weep until you can weep no more, and then you, then you find strength in your God. He didn't deny his feelings. God had to empty him and all of these men of, of themselves so that they could be filled with something better. So here's what I want to tell you. God, David didn't deny his feelings. He submitted his feelings to God. He wept until he could weep no more. He worshiped, and he, I think he sang, and he wept. And then he prayed. We know that because in, in 1 Samuel 30, verse 7, it says this, Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. And there's lots of discussion about the ephod. It was just an outer garment and where, we, where it had the urim and the thummim, and that was just how they inquired of the Lord back then. And so David's saying, hey, let's, let's worship, let's ask God. And so bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord. And here's what he said, shall I pursue the raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. And so here's what I want to tell you. Weeping, weeping didn't make the pain go away. Praise and worship didn't make the pain go away. What it did was it changed David's perspective in the middle of pain. And he said, I'm going to ask the Lord what he wants me to do with this pain. Should I sit here or should I go? God answers him. We'll read that in just a second. He found strength in the Lord. He found a different perspective. So when we get to the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 4, it says this. Paul was talking to the church at Ephesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off. So we're supposed to take some things off. There's some stuff you've been taught. There's some traditions that you know from, from church or from family members that do not belong. That they don't agree with the word of God. You need to take those off. We need to put off our old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to be put and to put on the new self. So there's something we're supposed to put on, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Then he tells them later in, in chapter 6, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And so we did this last week. We actually put Gary in, in the armor. So go ahead and stick that up there and we'll go back to that one. There's Gary. See his little, his little hard hat and his little bitty um, breastplate of righteousness and his shield of faith. And you can't really tell, but he never put on my, my Crocs of peace. I don't know why. Um, I don't know why he didn't put those on. He just stuck them next to his feet. And he has the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, we did this as a fun way to show you that there's something you're supposed to do every day is to put on the full armor of God so that, when, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. When, the, when you weep in the midst of your pain... When you find strength in the Lord, that's worship. When you pray to God in the middle of the storm, now listen to me and wait for his answer because we are really good at running ahead of the Lord. Well, I prayed about it. Yeah, but did you wait for his answer? If you do all of those things, then in this life you will experience restoration. God told him you will succeed. He was saying, here's, here's what I think God was saying, let's go back, let's go and take back your story. 
The enemy meant this for evil, but God means it for good. Let's change the ending. It looks like it's hopeless. It's not hopeless when you know God. Let's change the story, and we're about to read how God changed his story. 1 Samuel 30, verses 18 through 20. David got back everything the Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. He also recovered all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock. Now, this is important to notice. Not only did he get all of his stuff back, but when they killed all the Amalekites, all of their supplies, they brought back. And the guys who wanted to stone him, look what they said. Um, This stuff belongs to David, our king. You see, David did things God's way, and the men changed. I don't want to kill him. I want to serve him and follow him. You see what God did? There was a spiritual attack, and God produced something that those men would never forget, and those men would follow him back to Jerusalem, back to Hebron is where he becomes the king of Judah, and then a few years later, he becomes the king of all Israel. And those guys, those 600 men, were in the army. They served him the rest of their lives because God produced something in David that they'd never seen before. So I want to finish with this. How do you know God as defender unless he's defended you? How do you know God as provider unless he has provided for you? How do you know God as healer unless he's healed you? And then from this story, how do you know God as restorer unless something has been taken away from you and you've wept and you found your strength in the Lord and you've prayed and you've waited on God to pray and he's restored? The answer is you can't know the Lord in any of those ways until he becomes that for you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your love and your grace. I thank you for um, defending me, for protecting me, for restoring me, for walking with me and my family through the valley of the shadow of death. And so, Lord, if I learn my lesson, the end of, end of Psalm 23 says, so I will fear no evil for you are with me. Remind us today that no matter where we are in pain, you are with us. Transform us into people who will follow you no matter what. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. We have two baskets at the back. One is our joy basket. That's how we give here at New Life. You can give there or online at nlccp.com. Um, also remember that if you go to, uh, if you give online, there's four drop-down things on the drop-down menu. If you give anything to Benevolence over the next seven weeks, it goes towards Lake Charles. And then um, we do have our, uh, uh, our registration card basket back there. <laughs> we just make weird noises because we're just weird. Um, If you have prayer concerns, please write those on the back. If you want those to be private, I will pray over those. If you say I can share it, I'll share it with our prayer group. Remember, we have lunch out there. We've got soup and salad and dumplings. So uh, be sure and help us raise some more money. And check out the T-shirts, the Get Up, Let's Go T-shirts, 20 bucks. All of the proceeds go to Lake Charles. Stand up, hug four people, tell them you love them, get out of here.